Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. I want to do a deep dive into the anti-truth campaigns that we are seeing both in Russia and in the United States. This is pretty shocking stuff when the government itself is trying to control and regulate to its own advantage what's being taught in schools, what's being told to people in the media, all this kind of stuff. Like I said, we'll do a deep dive on that. And also the star witness in the Manhattan District Attorney Office's case against Donald Trump has just said to Alvin Bragg, the new DA, you either indict that sucker or I'm out of here. This is gonna get interesting. Also, Piers Morgan and Donald Trump, this interview that is getting all this press. I have a theory about this. And it kind of comports with a theory that a lot of Trump humpers are pointing out. It doesn't look well for Trump. And it might not look well for America. We'll see. I'll tell you all about that. Also, Elizabeth Warren says there's only one way to avoid a political disaster in November. We'll talk about what she's saying, what she's arguing, you know, where she's right and where maybe she's just a little off and what we can do about it. Also, Arguably one of the top five climate scientists on Earth, Dr. Michael Mann, will be with us to talk about the war on Ukraine and how it may well be marking the end of the fossil fuel era. We'll get into that, the politics of that, and actually the science of that in a few moments. But to start out, there are two countries in the world that are experiencing a crisis with their teachers and their textbooks. This is absolutely fascinating. This is not happening in Europe. It's not happening in Central or South America. It's not happening across the African continent. It's not happening to the best of my knowledge in Asia. But in Russia, they're changing the textbooks to try to say that essentially what we're doing in Ukraine is good. Alan Singer writing over at dailycoast.com, Russian teachers received official teaching guides to use in their secondary school classes that justified the military action in Ukraine as a battle against neo-Nazis and against Western nations trying to undermine Russian sovereignty. You get this? So the Russians are changing the textbooks because, hey, we're autocrats. We, you know, we have the power. We can do it. We're going to, you know... 
There was, in fact, one teacher pushed back. His, his name was Andrei Shestikov. And he created a WhatsApp group in Russian for Russian his, history teachers that, you know, kind of took on this official Russian version of what's going on in Ukraine. He also told his students that the mandated teaching guide, the, the, the new book that he got from the government that they, where they said, you must teach this this way, was, quote, historically inaccurate, including the, the claim that uh, Ukraine was an artificial invention of the Soviet Union. And he said, he came right out and said to his class that he opposed the war. So what happened? Well, the local police came and arrested him and then handed him over to the Federal Security Service, Russia's equivalent of the FBI, and they hit him with a fine of 35,000 rubles for, quote, discrediting the Russian armed services. He then quit his uh, teaching job before they could fire him. So that's how they're doing it in, in Russia this anti-truth campaign. Here in the United States, we're the other country in the world that has this problem. Down in Florida, their Department of Education just banned 54 math books. M-A-T-H, math books. And yes, I know that one of the big Republican influencers has been publishing a, uh, what looks like a multiple choice test that is pretty out there about, you know, Susie's two mommies or whatever, or how many trans kids, I, you know, I forget the details, but it was, it was kind of pushing the boundaries. Or you'd look at it and go, really, in a textbook? Oh, it turns out it wasn't really in a textbook. It wasn't even in a school. It wasn't even real. It was derived from something altogether different, which had nothing to do with schools or education. But she's out there pushing this, and it's, it's getting literally millions of shares. But when the DeSantis administration, the guy who wants to be the next neo-fascist to run the United States, when Ron DeSantis' administration was asked, okay, you know, what are these 54 books that you object to, that you have censored? These math books, math textbooks. And what do you object to in them? They didn't have an answer. It's just, hey, you know, we, we're, we're, we want bragging rights. In fact, his uh, DeSantis' uh, commissioner of education, Richard Corcoran, says that uh, his office is going to, I mean, just like the Russians, right? We are going to police teachers to ensure that they're not indoctrinating students with a liberal agenda. He bragged that he would, quote, censor or fire or terminate numerous teachers, end quote. And this is not just in Florida. Laws have been passed in the last year in Arkansas, Idaho, Iowa, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas all banning essentially the teaching of American history. You may not talk about how bad those ba white people were to those black people back in the day. In Alabama, Florida, South Dakota, Utah, and Virginia, governors have signed executive orders 
or state boards of education have laid down the law and said, sorry, just like in Russia, the truth can be censored here in Alabama, Florida, South Dakota, Utah, and Virginia. And again, by legislative law, Arkansas, Idaho, Iowa, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. And let's not forget Florida. During this last school year, the 2021-2022 school year, the one that we're in right now, at least six teachers and school administrators in the United States resigned following death threats. Death threats against teachers in the United States. The school superintendent in Reading, Connecticut, he's an African-American man, he resigned after a conservative accused him of trying to indoctrinate his students with critical race theory. Four school administrators in South Lake, Texas, who were, you know, a year ago given the responsibility of coming up with a lesson plan to teach how racial and cultural discrimination can happen, resigned for similar reasons, the threats they were getting. In most cases, teachers are just intimidated into silence. They want, you know, they, they want to keep their job. They want to keep their health insurance. They want to keep the, you know, the, keep the in. They want to, they want to keep their homes. And in New Hampshire and in Oklahoma, anyone, not, not just a parent or a student, but anyone can sue a teacher for pretty much anything. Oh my God, this is, you know, this teacher is teaching the history, the, the racial history of America. This is wrong. I want $10,000. And what does the teacher have to do? The teacher then has to go out and hire a lawyer to defend herself or himself which can cost thousands, it can cost tens of thousands of dollars if it gets to be serious litigation. Republicans are trying to turn the United States into Russia. In Russia, elections don't matter. The Republicans are changing election laws in the United States. In Russia, gay people are banned, essentially or any, any conversation about LB, LGBTQ issues is banned. And, and trans people in particular are, are just the victims of brutal crimes. Republicans are trying to do the same here in the United States. Russia doesn't want its teachers teaching the actual history of Russia. Right now, Putin is in the process of trying to, trying to uh, uh, scrub the history of, of Stalin's genocides. Stalin murdered, I mean, you know, he starved four million Ukrainians. They call it the Holdemore. It was their own Holocaust. He forced them to export food to Russia and they, had nothing, they didn't have enough to eat themselves. They died of starvation. I believe it was 1938. It was in the 1930s. It might have been 36. And then Stalin in the, in the purges in the 1950s murdered additional millions of Russians. Vladimir Putin is trying to get all of that stuff stripped out of the textbooks in the schools. Just like Republicans in the United States are trying to get the history of slavery and the slaughter, the genocide of Native Americans and the murders, the brutal murders and enslavement of African Americans for 400 years on this continent. By, by mostly white people. Republicans are trying to get that taken out of our history books.
you know, there were there Lawrence Lawrence uh, uh, last night on his program. Say what? O'Donnell. Yeah, Lawrence O'Donnell. Thank you. Lawrence O'Donnell on his show last night on uh, MSNBC was asking the question: Is a vote for Republicans a vote against democracy? I think it's becoming fairly obvious. These anti-truth campaigns in the in Russia and in the United States. Well, you know, you've got six Republican senators going to Russia to celebrate the 4th of July. You've got six Republican members of the House of Representatives, including Thomas Massey, the guy whose picture I included in my article today at Hartman Report, grooming his children to be mass shooters. They're all holding literally weapons of war. Kids. He voted to make it illegal for America to help preserve evidence of war crimes in Ukraine. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I mean, we've got, we've got something really weird going on in this country. Republicans who want to turn America into Russia. Okay, a couple of other things here I wanted to talk about. Number one, the Piers Morgan interview with Donald Trump. Now, there, you know, the, 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 the thing that's happening on the surface here is that CNN and the Piers Morgan people, this is you know, going to play on, or excuse me, Fox, Fox News and the Piers Morgan people, are saying that Piers Morgan asked Trump some tough questions and talk, called him a loser, and Trump you know, freaked out and got up and walked off and had him, you know, all that kind of stuff. Trump has released a recording that seems to show that they had a wonderful old time and they're good buddies and they ended up making out or something. Um, whether that's a recording from the same interview or not, I don't know. But here's, the, here's what the Trump followers are saying. And I think they're right. They're saying that this is proof that the Murdoch family is over it with Trump. They have figured out that Trump cannot win another election. Yes, he has influence in the party, but he doesn't have the influence he had. And once the January 6th committee is done with him, He's going to be, he's going to be viewed as, you know, either a washed-up has-been or as a as a criminal. And Fox News is starting to get the hell out of the way, out of out of you know, out from underneath Trump, and they're beginning to embrace Ron DeSantis as the guy. You know, Rupert Murdoch doesn't believe in democracy apparently, based on the way that he programs his his media empire. He would much rather have autocracy or oligarchy, where basically rich white people exclusively run the show. Maybe a few friends who are from other races, but basically, you know, an oligarchy. And I think there's something to that, that, that this is an early indicator. I, I don't care about the internal politics of, you know, Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch or inside Fox News or whatever. That, that uh, you know, th- that's... We'll, we'll let that drama play out, right? And it's going to be a week or so before the, the interview airs anyway. But what I think is fascinating is that what I've been saying on this program, I've been telling you now for months that Donald Trump is washed up. He's a has-been. He's never again going to have any consequential political power in the United States. And, and if anything, he's you know, causing harm to the Republican Party. But that doesn't mean the risk is gone. Ron DeSantis is a Harvard and a Yale-educated lawyer who is a smart guy and knows what he's doing, and he's every bit the neo-fascist that Donald Trump was. And Fox is now embracing him. 
So get ready for another wild ride. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. So what do you think? You think that uh, DeSantis is going to pull this thing off? Do you think Trump is going down in flames? You think this is all about Fox? Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Well, I would say that the politics of fascism, certainly the seeds of the politics of fascism, have been here in this country since the beginning. And I would submit that uh, as evidence or at least reference Tom Hartman's new book, The Hidden History of Big Brother in America. And if you read the section on the Massachusetts colony, which is horrific, absolutely horrific, I'm talking about the part where three women were taken from town to town to be serially stripped down and whipped. This with, is, with three feet of snow on the ground. With three feet of snow, yeah. This is, this is the politics of authoritarianism. And really all, all authoritarian, authoritarianism, whether it's monarchy, fascism, whatever you want to call it. it In this case, it was theocracy. Yeah, it, it has a politics. Yeah. It's not just one, one guy, one strong man pushing his weight around. It starts with, a, it, it has to be, and in fact, I would submit that all authoritarianism has a populist politics. And that's what you're saying when you say the Republican Party would like to make this Russia, just like Russia, it's based on this sort of populist politics. Yeah. It, it has to be, because there has to be a support of some fractions of, of the people it doesn't have to even be a majority, but I would submit, I mean, you look at what happened in England in the 1650s. When the House of Stuart was overthrown by Cromwell, 
that was the Puritans. That was the supposed, the so-called Democratic part of the, you know, they were the sort of the dem. And, and those were the people who, in John Greenleaf Whittier's poem, you know, that I quote in the in, in Hidden History of uh, Big Brother, those were the same people who went after those three women in Dover, uh, New Hampshire. Right. And, and so even though monarchism, mon- monarchy is, a, is authoritarianism, the people of England threw Cromwell out and said, we want the House of Stuart back. Right. We right? want our king back. At least the king didn't exactly. tell us how to live our lives every minute of every day. Exactly right, and that was they were the ones who, yeah, and they were a growing movement uh, who despised Shakespeare. That's why that's why all of Shakespeare's plays they were never they never staged in London. They were staged outside of London, like down in like Bermondsey or something like that. Some uh, because there were enough Puritans in London that they wouldn't let it in, even wow. though I yeah, didn't they know wouldn't that. let they would not let Shakespeare perform in London. Amazing. Yeah, and so we have this politics. It is a politics. And I remember when I was at Michigan State back in the 70s, there was a, a professor there. His name was, he was a political science professor in the James Madison College. His name was Kenneth Walter. He said to us, uh, don't think that Nazi Germany can't happen again. He's, and I didn't understand it. I thought, he said, it was only you know, 20 years before most of you were born, when your parents were your age is right. when it happened. And... I thought he meant at that time, well, you know, a nut like Hitler can come along again. What I have come to understand, I've never forgotten that lecture, is that it's based on a politics. The politics of fascism can return, and it's always lingering. Its ugly head is always, you know, it's always... And and there's a math to it, Paul, and the math is that if a small number of people use sufficiently frightening bullying and intimidation tactics, whether it's yeah. the theocrats in New Hampshire in, in 1640 or, or 1680 or whatever year that was, or whether it's Ron DeSantis in Florida uh, going after teachers. Um, if, if they, uh, there's, there's, there's got to be some research out there that quantifies this. My guess is that if it hits a threshold of in, somewhere in the neighborhood of between 15 and 30 percent would be my guess. But if they can, if they can get an, uh, that threshold of people to go along with their bullying behavior, the larger yep. majority of people, the 70 percent, the leftover, you know, the, the folks who disagree with them, will back down and shut up and say, you know, I really don't want to get into this fight. And that's how Hitler came to power. That's how Mussolini came to power. That's how Trump came to power. And that's how Ron DeSantis is, is holding power, in my opinion. That's, that's, that's exactly right. That, it doesn't take anywhere near a majority. No. Uh, because most people, and I think most Democrats, are really the uh, small government. They, they, they prefer to go about living their lives without bothering anybody. It's the, yep. it's the Republican Party that wants to be in your life and in every aspect of telling you what to do. Yep. They're the and authoritarians. Your kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and your kids. They want it. They, they, it's, your kids. It's, it's nuts. Yep, I'm yep. with you. Thank you very much for the call, Paul. So a twist. You, you'll recall Cyrus Vance uh, Jr. I remember his dad. <laughs> the old the old Cy Vance guy, who I think was Secretary of State or something like that. He was some major, major role back in the 60s and 70s. But anyhow, Cyrus Vance Jr. was the prosecuting attorney, the district attorney, the D.A., for Manhattan, the guy who prosecutes criminals. And he put together a grand jury and he put together a, 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 prosecutor, a, a team of prosecutors, including two real high-powered mob prosecutors. 
and they were going after Donald Trump and they were ready. They were on the verge of indicting him and an election happened and Vance retired and he got replaced by Alvin Bragg, who is now the attorney, the district attorney for, the, for Manhattan. And Alvin Bragg apparently said, nah, don't want to do it. And then all kinds of, you know, crap hit the fan, as it were. Alvin Bragg found himself on the receiving end of a whole lot of bad publicity, including from ex-Republicans like Joe Scarborough, you know, people who live in New York who are like, what? You're going to just throw this thing out? And it turns out that the main witness that, that Vance and now Bragg had uh, and have against Donald Trump for the many crimes that he has committed over the years in New York City. And by the way, that five-year statute of limitations is close to running out, although it may get extended because Trump's not in the state anymore, but there's a debate about whether that state law would hold up under scrutiny, blah, 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 blah. But anyhow, the main witness against Donald Trump was his former lawyer and fixer, Michael Cohen. And Michael Cohen is the guy who blew the whistle on Alvin Bragg. He's the guy who said, you know, this new guy came in as DA and he's sending me back the stuff I sent him. I sent him proof that Donald Trump broke campaign laws. You know, here's the check to Stormy Daniels and to, and to what's her name, the other woman. Um, he, I, I sent them proof that Donald Trump was, you know, engaging in, in loan fraud, that he was lying to banks about what his asset base were. I sent them proof that Donald Trump was engaged in tax fraud. He was lying to the state of New York and to the city of New York about the value of his properties. He was inflating the value of his properties for his bankers. I mean, Michael Cohen testified under oath to Congress about this on live television. Trump was inflating the value of his properties on bank applications and deflating the value of his properties on tax forms. That's against the law. In fact, that's against two laws. It's both bank fraud and tax fraud. Well, Michael Cohen is now saying, if Alvin Bragg really is not going to do this, if he's not going to put a new grand jury into place, because the grand jury is going to expire on April 30th, right? That's a week and a half from now. The grand jury in Manhattan ends. And that's, you know, at that point, the investigation into Donald Trump, the only criminal, well, actually, I believe the, the district attorney down in, uh, in Atlanta is also looking at criminal cases. But in New York State, Letitia James is looking at civil penalties. So the only New York criminal prosecution of Donald Trump that is moving forward, and the one down in Atlanta, by the way, they're, they're, they're convening a grand jury in a couple of weeks. But the only one that is, you know, really has the ability to throw his ass in jail is vanishing in 10 days, nine days. And Michael Cohen, the main witness against Trump, he's the guy who was there. He's the guy who saw it all happen. He's the guy who has the records. He's the guy who's produced the documentation. He's the guy who knows where the bodies are buried, both probably metaphorically as well as literally. Michael Cohen is saying, quote, I spent countless hours, over 15 sessions, including three while incarcerated. I provided thousands of documents, which coupled with my testimony would have been a valid basis for an indictment and charge. The fact that they have not done so despite all of this, I am not interested in any further investment of my time. Now, my concern about this goes beyond just, hey, I think Donald Trump is a terrible person and he should, you know, pay for his crimes.
I mean, that, that's obvious. But my concern is the larger concern that I, I wrote about a couple of days ago in HartmanReport.com about how when authoritarians get away with their crimes, when criminals in governments get away with their crimes, they encourage more criminality among their colleagues. We now have, you know, multiple Republican legislators in individual states and at the federal level who are pushing through legislation that is patently, in my opinion, unconstitutional, saying, oh, yeah, even if the majority of the people here in Arizona vote for, uh, you know, vote for uh, Joe Biden in 2024, but uh, Ron DeSantis is running against him, we, the legislature of Arizona, can simply give the election to Ron DeSantis. I mean, they're pushing these kinds of laws through in, they've done it in over 20 states now. Commit the crime, get away with the crime, and hey, let's just institutionalize the crime. I want Donald Trump in jail because I want future politicians to be saying, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this. This is amazing. I mean, this grand jury has been going since August 1st, 2019. That's two years. It's going to wrap up in nine days. And it looks like Alvin Bragg is going to just walk away from this thing. And Michael Cohen is saying, OK, screw it. You don't want Trump. I gave him to you on a platter. Why do you think Alvin Bragg is wimping out like this? I don't get it. What the hell is going on here? Joe in Marlboro, New York. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today? I love your show. I have my wife listening to you, too, by the way, uh -huh. which is pretty Thank suggest. Uh, listen, I have a cure way of curing Trumpism. Okay. All right, here's what you do. You just call, you go to Mar-a-Lago, you just call Fox News. Fox and uh, what's that, News Hacks and Newsmaster, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. And take Trump out in handcuffs. Let his whole, let his whole base see what happens. That's how he cured. That's how people realize that two and two is really four and it's not five. You are making my point, Joe. I've been making that point for months. I wrote an op-ed about it earlier this week or late yeah. last week. That, that the way that, the, you know, as long as he's getting away with the crimes that he's committed, he, you know, he, 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 he holds power, essentially. And this is, this yeah. is true of dictators all over the world. When they lose power, yeah. they just collapse. I mean, whether it was Pinochet yeah. or Hitler or Mussolini or whatever, I mean, you know, when, when you take away their power, boom, they go. They go. Uh, Joe, Joe, one, more thing, one, one, one sure. more thing, if I may. Yeah. So, so I get in a lot of Facebook arguments. I'm sure a lot of your listeners do. Everybody's saying how the Republicans got to win back. I say, why? You, you know, I guarantee you, of the 81 million people that voted for, for Biden, some of them are Republican women, but they know the crap that's got to come down. The women are got to sit back and, what, and let this abortion thing go through. I mean, look at the 7 million people that marched on, on Trump after his inauguration. Yeah. Yeah, we'll That's see. I mean, the, the whole the whole forced birth thing is fixing to get a whole lot Crazy. bigger. And, you know, yeah, I, I'm with you. Absolutely. Joe, Joe, thanks a lot for the call. John in Seattle. Hey, John, what's up? Yeah, hi. I uh, was looking at an article on uh, Bragg as far as the reason why he's uh, getting, getting out of... Uh, Prosecuting Trump. Uh, yeah. And it, it says here that they feel that there was, there's a vendetta. The papers took aim... At, at Cohen claiming he was pursuing a vendetta against Weisselberg as revenge for the accountant having testified against him before a federal grand jury in the hush money case. Now, 
that's a possible reason why he wants more proof, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe the, the uh, case is still uh, open. Maybe he's got some other things happening. Poker's in the fire. But that is one of the reasons why Bragg is kind of he, – he did offer one of the attorneys to stay on, but they both rejected. So yeah. the other one is the article on uh, the 4th of the 15th of this month, Lawrence Tribe wrote an article called $100 billion of Putin's money in the United States. And that money can go towards the Ukrainian war, and it's legal. And that article is great because he said it is illegal to give that money over to Zelensky and the, and the war to benefit. $100 billion is a lot of money. Yeah, it is a anyway, lot of money. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks a lot, John. Yeah, whether, whether Michael Cohen's testimony is tainted or weak or whatever, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's remotely possible. That they don't think that they, you know, he's that the case is so contingent on his participation that they don't think they can make it. I would still like to see the case go forward. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So I wanted to get to the Democrats' fate in the fall elections. You know, the, we're seeing polling suggesting that Republicans are going to take control of the House and Senate in November. And, you know, this is concerning for those of us who are not fond of Republican policies of cutting taxes on billionaires, increasing the level of poison and pollution in our air and water, and, uh, you know, trying to ban the teaching of American history in our schools. Um, but and 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 basically, you know, want to take America back to 1950 in terms of, um, well, a whole range of things. But 
But Elizabeth Warren is speaking out about this. She wrote an op-ed in, uh, in the New York Times titled, Democrats Can Avoid Disaster in November. She, she points out Democrats are the party of working people, and this has always been the case. The party of the really rich is the Republicans, and you know they managed to bring along a few suckers along the way by also being the party of white supremacy and bigotry, also being the party of hating gay people, um, also being the party of, oh my God, look out for the communists. Well, that went away with Donald Trump. Donald Trump kind of, not kind of, you know, embraced the former communists, the, the Putins and, the, and whatnot. He gave lip service to opposing uh, communist China at the same time that, uh, you know, he was cutting deals with them and sucking up to them. Um, and, 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 you know, the Republican Party has historically said that they're opposed to autocracy, but now you've got Jared Kushner getting a $2 billion bribe from Saudi Arabia because he went against the will of Congress, which voted not to give lethal weaponry to Saudi Arabia to use in Yemen, where 20 million people are right now facing famine because of the Saudi war. They blockaded the country. And Jared Kushner went over and said, you know, we're going to get around Congress. We're just going to ignore them and we'll give you the weapons, which is what the Trump administration did. And he's being paid off for that now with his $2 billion. Steve Mnuchin got a billion dollars. And we have no idea how many billions they've given to Donald Trump. He's not talking about it. But, you know, how much got wired into his offshore accounts, we just don't know. But anyhow, Elizabeth Warren says, you know, Democrats are the party of working people. And now Republicans are betting that a, stall, a stalled Biden agenda won't give Democrats enough to run on in the midterm elections. And she says they may be right. Now, this, of course, is why the, the right-wing billionaires reached out to Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema and said, hey, we'd like, to, we'd like to offer you guys a few million dollars if you'll just, like, you know, screw the country for us, along with all of the Republicans in the Senate, the, the Build Back Better legislation, for example. So she goes on to say, this is Elizabeth Warren, while Republican politicians peddle lies, fear, and division, we should use every single one of the next 200 days or so before the election to deliver meaningful improvements for working people. And she points out, if we fail to do that, we're, gonna, we're heading toward big losses in the midterms. And I agree with her. She says, first, we need to finalize a budget reconciliation deal. Okay, well, that's going to require a, a certain level of cooperation with Republicans or at least a certain level of cooperation with Manchin and Cinema, because you can do re reconciliation without any Republicans right now, but you've got two Democrats who have sold out. You know, Joe Manchin is wholly owned by the fossil fuel industry and proud of it. Makes 500,000 bucks a year on his own little oil company, not to mention that he's the largest recipient of fossil fuel um, uh, contributions in the entire United States Senate. So you've got that with Manchin, and then Kirsten Sinema is taking money from Big Pharma like there's no tomorrow. So that, and, and the reason that she blew up Build Back Better was because it would have required or allowed Medicare for the first time to do what the Veterans Administration does, what every hospital in America does, what every insurance company in America does, which is negotiate the price of the pharmaceuticals that they buy. Right now, the pharmaceutical industry is making $60 billion a year in profits, additional profits. Because whatever they say is the price of a drug, that's what Medicare pays. And Medicare can't say, hey, you know, we're buying a million of these pills or 10 million of these pills. Uh, you know, instead of selling them to us at $30 a piece, how about $3? Or how about, a, you know, five cents, your manufacturing cost plus a 20% markup or whatever. You know, negotiating what they can get. Literally, the Veterans Administration is buying some of these pharmaceuticals for less than a tenth 
of what Social Security is being forced to pay for them. But Kirsten Cinema, she blew that up because she's taking money from pharma and, of course, Manchin with the big bucks. So this is going to be a challenge. But nonetheless, I agree. We need a budget reconciliation deal, and we need one that will get past these two. I'm not optimistic about it. She says also big corporations should be paying their fair share of taxes to fund vital investments in combating climate change and lowering costs for average American families. But again, she says this can only advance with 50 Senate votes. I was, uh, you know, you would think maybe there's a Republican out there who would join. Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, I mean, already they're being attacked by, by the Trumpy Republicans, the, the, the wannabe fascists, the, the Republicans who want to turn America into a Russia and give Trump, you know, a dictator for life power. So they're already under attack, but I don't think that they're under sufficient attack that they're yet ready to leave the party. Lisa Murkowski, another one. So Elizabeth Warren also talks about some other things Democrats can do. She says, let's begin with corruption. You know, corruption is a terrible thing. And this was, you know, the op-ed I wrote last week. Corruption is the single most powerful word in politics. Alexei Navalny started an anti-corruption organization that outed the fact that Vladimir Putin was routing money and, and sweetheart deals to his oligarch buddies and had built his own billion-dollar uh, palace that looks like Versailles. Uh, you know, down in, in, in the South. And, uh, you know, what did Putin do? Try to poison him, and then when that didn't work, threw him in prison. So anyhow, she says, you know, we need to do this. We need to deal with the corruption that is making it hard to tackle things like climate change or income inequality or systemic injustice. And she says, I have the strongest plan and the only bipartisan bill in the Senate to get it done. Good for her. And we need to do that. She said the president deserves enormous credit for advancing an ambitious agenda to promote competition and appointing effective regulators to enforce our antitrust laws. See, this again, pre-1983, and I'm old enough to remember this, you could visit, in fact, I remember the old Route 66 show from the, from the early 1960s and late 1950s where Marty Milner and George Maharis were driving across America in their Corvette. And every single week, they would stop in a different town, and every town looked different. You had all these locally owned businesses and locally owned banks and locally owned stores and, and you know, locally owned hotels, and, and every town had its own local character. Now they're all the same. Now it's all Marriott's and Olive Gardens. And how did that end? Wells Fargo Banks. And how did that happen? In 1983, Ronald Reagan told the Justice Department, the Department of, Just the Department of Justice, excuse me, the Securities and Exchange Commission and the, uh, and the Federal Trade Commission to stop enforcing the antitrust laws that have been on the books since 1890 when the Sherman Antitrust Act was passed. Stop enforcing them. And what happened was the next five years of his administration, and again, those of you old enough to remember, remember this, those of you who aren't, watch the movie Wall Street starring Michael Douglas. It was about this era. What happened was all these giant, the, the, the giant companies that existed started buying up all the small and medium-sized companies. This was called mergers and acquisition. We had this mergers and acquisition mania. Michael Milken you know, kind of epitomized it. And the result of that is that now, 40 years later, there are no small and medium-sized businesses of any consequence left. I mean, go to your local mall. There might be one store that's a local family-owned store. It used to be the majority of them. There would be one, you know, like a Sears anchoring the store and then all these locally-owned stores. No more. 
And as a result, entrepreneurialism is dead in America. People don't start businesses anymore thinking, hey, I'll pass this along to my children and grandchildren, this dry cleaner store, or this pharmacy or what. No, now people start a business thinking, I'll, I'll build it up to the point where I can sell it off to the giants before they squash me like a bug. This is not the American way. This is the Republican way, right? Big business, the billionaires, the oligarchs. Again, this is the Republican Party trying to turn America into Russia. So she says, let's, let's take this on. Aggressive antitrust action. I like the idea. She said we can stand up to the armies of lobbyists and PR flax and tackle tax loopholes for the rich and powerful. Good idea. Most of the billionaires in America pay nothing in taxes or very little. The, the 25 richest people in America last year or the year before last paid an effective 3.4% income tax. How much did you pay? By a margin of more than two to one, she notes, Americans support providing some student loan debt cancellation. The president can do that for about a half of student borrowers on his own, the half that have federal student loans. Those that have private student loans, they're kind of SOL, but you know, uh, at least we can, we can do a start on this. And she said, lowering pres prescription drug prices and making sure that more workers are eligible for overtime pay. Good, good idea. And it wouldn't take 50 votes in the Senate. So is Congress, is this administration going to be able to get big things done in time for the election? And will that be enough to win the election? Or is the propaganda war, as it, as it were, where you've got, you know, 1,500 right-wing radio stations heavily invested in by the oligarchs again. I met one of these billionaires who, owns, who owned a radio network of over 900 stations and said, you know, how'd you like to put my show on your, you know, you've got hundreds of stations carrying right-wing hosts. And he's like, I'll never put a guy on the air who wants to raise my taxes. Never. How do you cut through that? And now you've got Rick Scott, you know, the guy the, in charge of getting Republicans reelected to the Senate, saying, let's lower taxes on billionaires and raise taxes on the bottom 90% of Americans. You're listening to Tom Hartman. You know, every now and then you come across data that you didn't know, and it's like, whoa, this is like surprisingly good news. I came across such data in this article over at greenbiz.com by Kingsmill Bond talking about how we are perhaps, and, and in part because of the war in, in Ukraine, looking at right now peak fossil fuel and it's all downhill from here from the fossil fuel industry's point of view. Uh, this is according to data from British Petroleum. Global energy demand has grown at 1% a year, but solar and wind are averaging a 20% per year increase in their availability. Um, solar and wind are meeting two-thirds of the growth in energy demand. Hydro, nuclear, and biomass supply enough to make up the rest. In other words, as we're re using more energy, we're not using more fossil fuels. Um, the the uh, uh, let's see, before the war, solar and wind sources of electricity were cheaper than fossil fuels in 85% of, of, of the world at today's fossil fuel prices. As a result of the war, they're cheaper everywhere. Um, solar and wind potential is 100 times the amount of energy that fossil fuels produce for us. And I, I could go on from there, but uh, I want to introduce Dr. Michael Mann, uh, uh, one of the leading, the world's leading climate scientists, distinguished professor of meteorology, the director of the Earth System Science Center at Penn State University, member of the National Academy of Sciences, recipient of the Tyler Prize, 
author of several books, including most recently, The New Climate War, and before that, The Madhouse Effect. Michael Mann with two N's dot net is his website. Michael E. Mann with two N's is his Twitter handle. Dr. Mann, welcome back to the program. Is it true that A, we are pretty much worldwide, or at least in the developed world, reaching the point where we really don't need more fossil fuels, and, and B, that this war in Ukraine is actually might be the pivot point for an awful lot of positive change. Yeah, hi, Tom. It's good to be with you. And yeah, there is a, a bit of good news here. Look, carbon emissions have basically flatlined now. They're not going up anymore globally. That's the good news. And that is due in large part to the fact that we've seen huge growth in renewable energy, larger and larger share of uh, our energy now uh, here in the United States and around the world is coming from renewable sources. So that's the good news. Uh, carbon emissions have stopped rising. The bad news is we've got to bring them down and we've got to bring them down quickly, uh, about 50% within the next decade and all the way down to zero uh, by the middle of this century. So there's a lot of work left to be done, but there's a little bit of good news here as you report. And there's also some good news. There was a study that came out uh, just this week that shows that if you tally up the commitments coming out of the Glasgow uh, conference, the COP26 conference uh, some months ago, and that was you know, regarded by some climate advocates as a disappointment. But if you actually look at all the commitments now we have from the countries of the world, it's now enough to keep warming potentially below two degrees Celsius. Now, again, that's good news. It's about half of where we were headed. We were headed towards four degrees Celsius uh, back at the time of the Paris Agreement. So uh, now it's potentially under two. That's still not good enough. We've got to keep that warming below one and a half Celsius to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. And we've got to make sure that, you know, countries make good on their commitments, uh, that they're not just talking the talk, but actually walking the walk as well. So there's a lot of work to be done, and we have to keep the pressure on our politicians and on the fossil fuel industry, on the energy industry. But yeah, we're seeing some progress here, which is important. There's urgency, but as I like to tell people, there is agency. We can still do this. That's, that's, that's great news. Um, we have here in the building where, we, you know, where our studios are, we've got, there's some trees out in front. And uh, one of them is about half dead. I mean, now it's spring, right? So all the buds are coming out so we can actually see the, the health of the trees around us. One of them is half dead, the other is about a third dead, giant, a giant dead spot on it. These, both, both of these trees wilted during that three days of 116 degree heat that we had last year with that heat dome. Um, that was something that was never predicted, correct me if I'm wrong, by the climate models and, and the, uh, and the prognostications of you know, how climate change was going to play out at one degree Celsius, which is where we are right now, I believe. Uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, what, uh, you know, what are we learning about what we didn't know, what we didn't expect? How, how wild can things get and how wild are they getting? Going yeah, well, we've learned uncertainty isn't our friend here. Um, you know, as we see more of the impacts play out, um, often we're seeing worse impacts. We're seeing more warming or more extreme events than the models predicted, uh, more melting of the ice and rise in sea level than the models predicted. So the models that we've used to project uh, into the future by some measure have been conservative. And they're conservative in part because the real world is somewhat more dynamic than the world described by our, by our models. And that's 
definitely true when it comes to extreme weather events like that heat dome that you all experienced out in the Pacific Northwest last summer. Um, these extreme heat events, these heat waves, these wildfires, floods, superstorms, um, larger tornado outbreaks, uh, these sorts of extreme events are, are fairly difficult to capture in these global models. Um, sometimes the, they involve behavior in the jet stream where sort of air masses sort of get locked into place. The jet stream kind of slows down and it exhibits these huge wiggles, which gives you these big high and low pressure centers where you get extreme weather. The physics of that is pretty complicated and the models are often run at a resolution where they may not be capturing some of the important physics. And some of our own research has been in that area to understand those mechanisms and to understand why they might not be well captured in current models. So the bottom line is the models when it comes to, for example, these extreme weather events that we're seeing have been conservative in what they've predicted. We're seeing extreme uh, weather events that are more extreme than what the models predicted. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So over at the uh, New York Times, uh, Farhad Manju is writing, we're in a fossil fuel war, Biden should say so. And, uh, you know, pointing out that uh, were we not, we being, you know, the world and, and Europe in particular, so dependent on Russia for their fossil fuels, if, if uh, 20 years ago when Angela Merkel was negotiating the first uh, deals with Russia to supply Germany in particular with uh, oil and natural gas. If instead she had gone the direction that the Greens were pushing her and, and uh, you know, done it all with, uh, you know, expanding um, the, the, the 100,000 rooftop program, things like that, you know, more new renewables, that, um, you know, the world would not be in this mess. And, we're, and I'm not talking about climate change mess. I'm talking about a, a, a geopolitical mess. Yeah. Um, to what extent are climate scientists looking at situations like this that really ultimately have nothing to do with the climate on their surface, but, uh, you know, underneath that could have huge impact, you know, number one, in terms of driving a faster shift to renewables, and number two, in, you know, the, this 20-year procrastination that we just lived through? Yeah, well, look, I mean, Russia has been involved in a major disinformation effort for years now 
um, using cyber warfare, uh, using bot armor, armies online um, to try to sort of weaponize climate change, misinformation and disinformation. Their main asset, they are a petrostate. Their primary asset is their fossil fuels and they want to monetize that asset. And so they have used again, sort of cyber warfare um, in an effort to prevent the rest of the world from acting on climate. And here, ironically, it's our dependence on their fossil fuels, on the fossil fuels of these petrostates like Russia and Saudi Arabia that have propped them up, that have built them up. Um, and we would not be in the position that we're in right now. We would not be dealing with this latest uh, aggression by Russia were it not for the fact that they have you know, um, assembled uh, a daunting uh, military uh, infrastructure because of all of that money that's come from our buying of their fossil fuels. And they're using that right now as a cudgel uh, to prevent, for example, Europe that's, you know, still dependent on their gas and oil uh, to prevent uh, the European countries from uh, taking stronger sanctions against them over the actions in, in Ukraine. So look, both of these things are symptomatic of our dependence on fossil fuels. The climate crisis, which is getting worse as we continue to burn fossil fuels, and this geopolitical crisis that we're in, which is a manifestation of our historical reliance on these petrostates for their fossil fuels. The solution to all of these things is to get off fossil fuels and to do so as quickly as possible. Yeah, it seems like a good idea. And now uh, U.S. demand for fossil fuels peaked in 2007. It's now down 10%. This is uh, some good news here. Professor Michael Mann, uh, is his most recent book, The New Climate War. Be sure and get a copy of it. Dr. Mann, thanks so much for dropping by. Uh, thank you, my friend. It's always good talking to you. You too. Thank you. M Michael E. Mann with two N's on Twitter. Um, MichaelMann.net on the Internet. So what are you doing to help solve the climate crisis? And what do you think we really should be doing on a macro scale? Mike in Easton, Pennsylvania. Mike, it says you disagree with me. So you go right to the front of the line. What's on your mind? Oh, yeah, I disagree with you. The way, the way you talk about, you know, the whites and all. You know what thing? This country isn't 400 years old. Okay, when this country was formed... It took less than 100 years to abolish slavery. And for all the white people I hear that was so bad, there had been a lot of good white people, or else we'd still have slavery. And that's the, th that's the point, you know, I mean, me personally, I told you, Screener, I, wanna, I would like Alan West to be the president, okay? Because? It, because, because I believe in what he, what he has to say. And what does he what does he have to say that you think is so important? What does he have to say? First of all, don't punish somebody who is successful. In okay, other words, in other words, maintain a three percent tax rate for billionaires no. and a thirty percent tax rate no. for you and me. No, 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 no. And you know, well, come on, the billionaires who are funding Alan West want that. Yeah, yeah listen, the billionaires. When I hear. So how, how are we punishing how are we punishing success in America, Mike, when billionaires pay three percent income tax and you and I pay twenty percent or thirty percent? How are we punishing success? What are we doing? Because first of all, they pay more than that. With, with no, they don't. All the, all the they actually don't. 
You got, you, you got Jeff Bezos last year declared his income to be $81,000. That was it. That's all he paid income taxes on. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. The way that let me just tell you how it works, Mike. The way that these guys, these really, really rich guys, work is they don't take a paycheck, so they don't pay into Social Security or Medicare or or, or any income tax. Instead, right. they borrow the money that they live off of based on the assets that they have, and and right. then when they pay that money back, they pay a one or two percent interest rate, and so they're paying one or two percent on you know for their money. Whereas you and I, we get a paycheck and we're paying what, 20, 25, 30%? Well, well, how is how that right? Did, how many jobs did they create? They don't create jobs. Uh, my, you and me buying things, Mike, is what creates jobs. Well, so so who, who makes, who's the one who, who forms the businesses so you can buy them? Well, the problem, and again, this is this is the problem that we have in America right now, Mike. It, you know, before Ronald Reagan stopped the enforcement of the antitrust laws in 1983, before that, every, and, and Mike, maybe you're old enough to remember this. If you're not, let me tell you something you don't know. Prior to the 80s, you could visit any small town in America and know where you were because the local theater was a local theater owned by the local family. The local bank was a local bank owned by the local family. The local clothing store was owned by the local family. The dry cleaners, the restaurants, none of that happens anymore. Reagan stopped the enforcement of the antitrust laws, and now everywhere you go in the country, all you get are Olive Gardens and Marriott's and and big and giant court and the same banks and the same and and small businesses are toast mike if you want to see entrepreneurialism in america you need to be defending democrats not republicans because republicans love big business and hate small entrepreneurs mike what about walmart what, what about, about walmart? walmart that was a hillary clinton hillary clinton's friends with the walmart yeah i'm, I'm i uh, you know and, and mike i'm with you it was the biggest mistake of her life to get on the walmart board Mike, thanks a lot for the call. I hope we can talk again. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. You know, calling up and saying that I sound like Stalin is one thing. <laughs> Trying to defend your position is a whole other one. Marilyn in Sun City, Arizona. Hey, Marilyn, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I am flying up to Canada next week. I'm 62, and I've had all four shots, so it's not a huge concern to me, and I'll still wear my mask. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Canada, they have before their legislature to put a wealth tax on the five biggest banks and take oh. uh, because they made record record profits and put it into programs to help ordinary Canadians. But what I'm calling about is last week you talked to Rokana, and we were talking about DCEs, direct contracting entities, REACH, that they're trying to rebrand it to, or ACOs. Right. And I just the privatization want the of Medicare. Yes. Correct. And I just want the warning out there that everything I read shows that they are 40 to 60% of the way there, and they fully expect and are confident that by 2030 they will be completely privatized. I, I, uh, you're absolutely right, Marilyn, and I've seen those same statistics, and it scares the hell out of me. Uh, it's a disaster. Me too. It's a disaster for people on Medicare. And, uh, you know, the, this, this whole Medicare Advantage scam, or the so-called Medicare Part C scam, now they've changed their scam. Marilyn, thank you. Thanks for the heads up on that. And thank you for being with us today. We really, truly appreciate it. We'll be back same time, same place. In the meantime, spread the good word. Tell your friends and neighbors how they can find good progressive media. There's a lot of it goes beyond even this show. 
and get out there and get active. Tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 